little competition here. I read this. In 2001, the Richards family of Canberra, Australia, set the Guinness World Record for the most holiday lights ever to grace a human house. This made me feel much better about the few lights that I have to put up. I felt really good about this. They put up 331,038 bulbs. The uh, family's retina scorching record stood for more than a decade. Then in 2012, Tim Gay and his family from LaGrangeville, New York, bested the Richardses. They decorated their house with 346,283 lights. Many of those were to add tinsel to injury, synchronized to music. Nice. Well, the Richardsons couldn't stand to be losers for very long. So they upped the ante by decorating their house with more than 502,165 lights. Um, And this equates to more than 29 miles of wire. But no, the story does not end there. There's always room for more light, so this year, which was 2014 when this was written, our heroes from New York got their revenge. They covered their own house and, crucially, its grounds with a display that involves 601,736 lights. The whole thing took roughly two months to build. It spans two acres. It also involves much more than lights. It includes more than 200 songs, including both top 40 hits and traditional holiday songs. As Tim Gay told Guinness on the occasion of his win, my family and I are thrilled to bring the world record back to the United States, he added, and we're even more excited that we did it with nearly 100,000 more lights than the previous record. I don't know if this is going to keep going back and forth, but sooner or later you've got to reach, I think, uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I whine because I have to spend a day to hang lights up around the house. Two months. Wow. I want to talk about a really bright light this morning. I'm going to do another story, and then we're going to get to Scripture. It says, uh, it was another article here in, uh, in July of 2010. Paul Crowther was the professor of astrophysics from the University of Sheffield's Department of Physics and Astronomy. He announced that he and his research team had discovered a star they described as the brightest star ever found in the universe. Not even a welder's helmet would help you face the light from this giant. The mass of the star is roughly 265 times that of our sun. But that's nothing. The brightness of this star is some 10 million times greater than the light coming from our sun. 10 million. That's kind of hard to fathom. Think about that. The star, and this is its name, R136A1, is not twice as bright as our sun, which would be overwhelming in itself if it were the sun that our Earth orbited. It is not just 10 times brighter, which is a light so bright we can hardly imagine it. It's not 100 times times brighter or a thousand times brighter than our sun. And it's not a million times brighter. This newly identified star is 10 million times brighter than our sun. Thinking about this star gives us a sense of what the glorious presence of God is like. Because scripture tells us this, that God is a being who lives in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see. 
we have no idea of the of the glory of God. I mean, God created that star that we were reading about. And he lives in, in, a, in a light that we cannot fathom. We can't fathom it at all. And uh, I want us to talk about the glory of God for a moment. We're going to be talking about Jesus' birth, but I want us to first get a kind of a grasp of the glory of God, the Creator. If, when we read in the Old Testament, there was a man named Moses. God picked this guy to lead the Israelites out of bondage, out of slavery in Egypt. And Moses, by the time God chose him, Moses didn't have any confidence in himself. But God says, you're the one I'm going to use. And God did use this man named Moses, and through various things, uh, the, the Israelites were set free by the Egyptians. And um, they were traveling across the wilderness to a land that God said he was going to show them, a land that he'd prepared for them, a promised land. And I want us to look in a text where, where Moses is praying to God. And Moses had a very special relationship with God. In Exodus 33, it says this. And the Lord replied to Moses, and, and Moses had just been asking God to be with him. He said, God, if you're going to send us, you've got to be with us. Don't just send us somewhere. You've got to be with us as we're going there. And the Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you've asked, for you have found favor with me, and you are my friend. I like that. Moses, you're my friend. Then Moses had one more request. Please, let me see your glorious presence. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, the Lord, to you. I will show kindness to anyone I choose, and I will show mercy to anyone I choose. But let's look at this verse together. I'll put it up there for you. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. No human could endure seeing God in his fullness. The Lord continued, Stand here on this rock beside me. As my glorious presence passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed. Then I'll remove my hand and you'll see me from behind but my face will not be seen. Moses, I'm going to protect you as I pass by. I'll remove my hand. I'll let you see my back. And that's exactly what happened. Scripture shows that, that God did pass by. He revealed a part of himself to Moses. Moses, he just falls down and worships. But he stays on this mountain where this is all happening for a period of time. And then in chapter 34 it says, When Moses came down from the mountain carrying the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware of something. He didn't realize this. He'd been up there by himself. Now he's coming down and he doesn't know that his face is glowing because he has been in the presence of God. And so he comes down and the people, they've been waiting for him and they see him and they just kind of freak out. Okay, this scares them because his face is shining. He wasn't aware that his face glowed because he'd spoken to the Lord face to face. And when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. They just, something, what has happened here? The glory of God. I had an eye exam a couple months ago. And uh, how many of you have had an eye exam before? All right. 
Remember that part where they drop stuff in your eyes? Now, what's it do? Yeah, it makes it blurry. And then your pupils go, they just enlarge. They're like gigantic. And you don't have control over them anymore. They just stay really big. And so, put that stuff in my eyes, and it was a sunny day. And I had, you know, these glasses, which do tint. You know, you get outside in the sun, they'll tint. So, so I, I step out of uh, the place where I had the eye, eye exam, go outside, and it's sunny. I can't hardly stand it. It's like the sun is, no, the sun, I can't stand it. And tears are coming down, and it's like, oh, i got to drive home somehow. And I did, but we won't talk too much about that. But the, the brilliance of the sun, my pupils couldn't close off and kind of, you know, limit the amount of sun that was coming in. They were just big. I couldn't stand it. God says, no man can see me and live. My glory is just unbearable for a human to take. 1 John 1.5 says this. This is the message he's given us to announce to you. The Apostle John, he's, he's writing to the church. And he said, God is light. Now, that doesn't mean he's just some energy force, okay? Some of you are going to go Star Wars, and, you know, God is not the force, okay? <laughs> God is God. God is spirit. But Scripture says he's, he's light. It's just brilliance. And in, there is no darkness in him at all. No darkness. But look at this passage here. The Apostle Paul, he's had revelation from God. He's actually gone to heaven, Scripture says. And God has shown him things. He's got revelation. And he's passing some stuff off to Timothy. And he says, The blessed and only Almighty God, the King of kings and Lord of lords, He alone can never die. And He lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach Him. Nobody can... In these human bodies, we cannot approach God. No one has seen Him nor ever will. To him be honor and power forever. Amen. Well, how can we be with God one day? Well, Scripture says he's giving us glorified bodies that we'll be able to endure, be able to take all of that. But right now our physical bodies can't. Why am I saying all of this? You know, sometimes we think of Jesus as just Jesus the man. But Jesus is God. Jesus is God. God, this triune, this God who is in relationship with himself. God is a God of relationship, and even within him there is relationship. Scripture talks of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Scripture very clearly says there is only one God. They are one. They are one. Jesus is God. He's God. And I've been talking about this brilliance and glory of God. Jesus had that too. He had that also. When God created man, he said something really unique. You know, the first time I read that, I wondered, who's us? God said, let us make man in our image. He wasn't talking about he and the angels. He was talking about God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image. Look at this passage in Colossians. I, I want 
what I, what I want us to see is that Jesus, he's God. And he had to lay a lot aside to come to this earth. A lot. Look at this passage in Colossians. Christ, speaking of Jesus, Christ is the visible image. People were able to see God when they saw Jesus. But the glory had been set aside. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before God made anything at all and is supreme over all creation. Christ is the one through whom God created everything in heaven and earth. Creation came through Christ. Son of God. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Kings, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities. Everything has been created through him and for him. He existed before everything else began and he holds all creation together. Christ. So, what I... I wanted to start with this so that we could better see when God became man that was huge God living in unapproachable light humans could not even be in that presence and he becomes a man this is pretty miraculous this is pretty miraculous the, the title of this message is does God really care don't raise your hand, but how many of you have ever thought that? Does God really care? I mean, look at what I'm seeing. Look at maybe what I'm experiencing right now. Look at what I'm, or people I know are going to. Does God really care? God becomes a man. Let's go through the Christmas story. Let's do that this morning. Luke chapter 1. Message to Mary. Verse 30. This angel has come, freaks Mary out, but he tells her not to be afraid. Starting with verse 30. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you're to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called, what? The Son of the Most High. God the Son is coming skipping to verse 34 it says the following how will this be Mary asked the angel since I'm a virgin that doesn't make sense the angel answered the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God God the Son is going to become a human. What do you think it was like in heaven when the angels are seeing this plan unfolding? I mean, the one who created them was going to become like one of his creation. That had to be pretty mind-blowing for them. Let's look at the message to Joseph. Let's look at that one. Um, he finds out that 
the woman that he's pledged to marry is pregnant. And he knows he's not the father. You know, that's that's uh, pretty amazing. Let's look at this. He has a dream. <clears throat> this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Engagement today is different than the Jewish culture at that time. When they were... Uh, pledged to be married there was a ceremony that happened it wasn't just they got off together and somebody asked somebody to marry them that wasn't the case there was a ceremony and it was official i mean they were they were not living together yet but they were pledged to be married and then in the future they would come together and if you wanted to break that you actually had to get a divorce you had to get a divorce to break the pledge to marry not marry Mary, but to get married, okay? So it says, She was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Mary's pregnant. I know I'm not the dad. I am not going through with this. But I'm not going to make a huge issue and have her go through a bunch of shame and everything. I'm just, I'm just going to divorce her quietly, and we'll just move on. After he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. You guys are wondering why we're looking at those verses up there, aren't you? Let's see. I've got to find where I am just a second here. I'm going to back up here. <clears throat> ah, there's the dream. Okay. After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said... Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Joseph is just a man. Can you imagine what he's going through here? I mean, this experience with an angel and saying that Mary, the son of God, is going to be born through her. I mean, that had to be... Who could imagine going through something like that? But Jesus is God with us. Let's go back to that verse, the verse that was up there. It goes on to say in Matthew chapter 1, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And it's talking about the prophet Isaiah. And it's... There's going to be a quote that comes that is from the ch uh, chapter 7 of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah was written about 700 to 680 B.C., hundreds of years before this is happening. And this is what was prophesied. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Jesus was God with us on this earth. God. God the Son. In Philippians, it gives us a little picture from heaven. Because we're seeing all this stuff that's happening on earth. But there's stuff that's happening in heaven also. 
So let's take a look at that real quickly. And uh, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul is, is writing to the, Philipp- the Philippian church and he says, Though he was God, Jesus, the Christ, though he was God with all that glory, in that un- unapproachable light, incomprehensible light, though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. I am God. I am creator. I have made all of these things. They were made to serve me. I have those rights. You know, if I make something, it's mine. I can do what I want to with it. And and scripture says, he did not demand or even cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. All of that glory sets it completely aside. All of that dominion over everything sets it aside. Willingly. He made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave. What does a slave do? Serves. They serve. That's what they do. They serve. And he said, I, who made everything, am laying that all aside. And I am going to serve. That's amazing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. And then when we read through the Gospels, we read about God walking on this earth. God being like one of us. We read in the scriptures that, you know, he, he celebrated at weddings. Weddings are an awesome time. He celebrated at weddings. But we also see he wept at a funeral. Someone died that he loved. And he wept. God. He had compassion on the multitudes. All these people, they're, they're needing so much and they're coming to him and they've got so many needs. The scripture says that he looked on the multitudes and he had compassion on them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. He so wanted to minister to them. But we also read in scripture that God became, he would get overtaxed at times, exhausted. He was human. So many needs. But there's only so much he could do in human form. He, scripture says sometimes he just had to get away. He was exhausted from all the serving that he was doing. And here's the thing that's really amazing. Scripture tells us that God, while he walked on this earth, was tempted to sin. He was tempted to sin. Scripture says he understood our suffering, suffering the temptation to sin. God was tempted amazing look at this in Hebrews where it talks about that for we do not have a high priest and it's speaking of Jesus he's the high priest he's the one that we can go to we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses anybody got any weaknesses in here want to share what they are 
<laughs> no. God the Son understands weakness. He experienced weakness. He experienced temptation. Matter of fact, Satan himself singled out Jesus. Satan has never singled me out. I don't think I'm high on his priority list of harassment. He's got some other little demons messing with me at times, but he understands our weaknesses. And I just felt impressed when I got to this verse today. There's some people in here today that you're you're just kind of a little bit distanced from God because you don't really comprehend the depth of his love for you. I keep failing. Well, God keeps loving. And he understands your weaknesses. Let's look at this verse again. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way. Just as we are. But was without sin. The difference was he never gave in to it. He endured it without giving in. And none of us can say that. We have given in. Well, let's finish off Philippians, the last part of Philippians. And it says this, And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further. Not just coming, not laying aside all of his glory, all of his majesty, all of his dominion over everything, laying it all aside, coming and being God in a you know, God in flesh, humbled himself in serving, but he even humbled himself to the point of dying. And it wasn't a glorious death. It's not like death on the battlefield or something like that. He humbled himself to the point of a very shameful death. Crucifixion was a shameful thing. And the culture of the Jewish people, shameful. The Roman culture, shameful. And yet, God allows that to be his death. And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on a cross. Well, why? Because you and I need a Savior. We need a Savior. It's amazing. Let's, let's read a little bit more about the Christmas story. And let's go to the point where... Um, Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 6. Let's look at that. While they were there, Mary and Joseph have had to travel to Bethlehem because the ruler has decreed that everybody has to uh, be part of a census and they have to go to their hometown in order to sign and be accounted to see how many is in the Roman Empire. And so uh, Joseph, his hometown is Bethlehem, so Mary and Joseph have to travel to Bethlehem. She's very pregnant, but that doesn't matter. They've got to do it. So while they were there, made it to Bethlehem, 
the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. You've got to imagine, what does that look like to all of heaven? God is now being born in a barn? I was not born in a barn. If you were, you know, don't raise your hand, okay? We'll talk later, but God born in a barn. His first bed is a feeding trough for animals. Crazy. But God the Father had to tell somebody what was going on. You ever had a message that was just so good you had to share it with somebody? Oh, you just have to. I mean, you're calling people, you're doing whatever, strangers, whatever. The message is so good. And this message was so good, it was so almost unbelievable. God had to tell somebody what was going on. And who did he pick? Shepherds. Shepherds were not high on the status of social, you know, social status at that time. They were down there kind of low, all right? And he says, I got to tell somebody. There's these shepherds outside the town. I, I'm going to tell them. So it goes on to say, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of, there's that glory again, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. They weren't just scared, they were terrified. What is happening here? And as always... The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. It seems like they have to say that a lot when the glory of God shows up. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now let's look at that again. What kind of news was he bringing? Good news. What would it bring to people? Great joy. And who was it for? Everybody. Everybody. This is what Christmas is all about. We're reminded of this good news of great joy that is for everyone. It's for everyone. Well, he goes on, or the angel goes on, and says this. Today in the, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. The angels were amazed at what was happening. Remember, this God had created them. They had seen him in his glory. Their purpose, we read in various scriptures, is bringing worship to this God. And then doing the things that God wants them to do. They're serving him. And so for them to see that the one who created them was in a human's womb for a few months and then born the God who created them was born the one who existed in unapproachable light was now 
lying helplessly in the arms of a human and his needs would have to be met by two human beings that had to be mind blowing to the heavenly host to, 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 to try to grasp that and yet they still said this this baby was still Christ the anointed one and this baby was still the Lord God became man born to become as one of us Mark 10.45 says for even I the son of man came here he knew he came he knew where he was from he said I came here not to be served but to serve and to give my life as a ransom to many let me read this story here Father Damien was a priest who became famous for his willingness to serve lepers. He moved to, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, Kalawao, a village on the island of Molokai in Hawaii that had been quarantined to serve as a leper colony. For 16 years he lived in their midst. He learned to speak their language. He bandaged their wounds, embraced the bodies no one else would touch, preached to hearts that would otherwise have been left alone. He organized schools, bands, and choirs. He built homes so that the lepers would have shelter. He built 2,000 coffins by hand so that when they died, they could be buried with dignity. Slowly, it was said, Kalawai became a place to live rather than a place to die. For Father Damien offered hope. Father Damien was not careful about keeping his distance. He did nothing to separate himself from his people. He dipped his fingers in the poi bowl along with the patients. He shared his pipe. He did not always wash his hands after bandaging open sores. He got close. And for this, the people loved him. Then, one day, he stood up and began his sermon with two words. We lepers. Evidently, he hadn't said that before. But this time he said, we lepers. Now he wasn't just helping them. Now he was one of them. From this day forward, he wasn't just on their island. He was in their skin. First he had chosen to live as they lived. Now he would die as they died. Now they were in it together. One day God came to earth and began his message. We lepers. He became one of us. It's not like he just did something for us. He became one of us. God became one of us. Now he wasn't just helping us. Now he was one of us. Now he was in our skin. And now we were in it together, even to death. It is amazing. It's amazing. Look, let's look at this verse. 
Does God really care? Does God understand what I'm going through? Does God care at all what I'm experiencing? Does God have any compassion on what's going on here? Yes. Yes, he does. Therefore, it was necessary for Jesus to be in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters. And he's able to say that because he became one of us humans, brother and sister, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. He then could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. What was the sacrifice? Himself. God said, I have to judge their sin. I am light. In me is no darkness. I have to judge their sin. I am righteous and I am holy. But I love them. So, I'll become one of them. And I'll, say, I'll just lay aside all my glory. And, and I'll be born into this world that I created. And I will become human. And I will walk where they walk. I will experience what they experience. I will go through the temptations that they go through. I will go through the hurt and the rejection that they go through. And then... I will trade places. I will live that life without sin that every one of them have failed at. But then I'll lay my life down and all of their sin, I'll take it myself. Basically, God says, I will judge myself and I will punish sin but I'm going to be the one carrying it in their place. It is amazing. The incarnation is amazing. That God would become flesh. It is amazing. The angels, they, they couldn't hardly comprehend this thing. 1 John 4.10 says this, This is real love. Not that we love God. No, that's not the real love. This is real love. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son, God the Son, as a sacrifice to take away our sins. This Christmas season, oh, rejoice. Rejoice in, in this God. Your God. I pray he's your God. <laughs> who loves you so much that he would become like you. And he would live like you. And he would experience the, the, the wonders and the greatness of being human and the sorrow and the depths and the grief of being human. He would experience all of it. And then he would say, I'm going to take your sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. It's amazing. It's amazing. Church, 
Rejoice in what your God has done. Rejoice in your salvation. Don't go through life guilty or condemned or oppressed. God died for your sins. Just confess them and receive his forgiveness and walk with him. Don't go through life beat up. And anybody who does not have Jesus, let me tell you, he's calling to you. You may have heard about Jesus, you may know the church thing, and you know you kind of know all about that. But Jesus is speaking to you personally, saying, you need me. You don't need religion, you don't need Bible stories, you need me. I am your Savior. Apart from me, you will be judged for your sin. But through me, you can be forgiven and embraced by the Father as a child that He will raise, love, save, deliver all that we need. I'd like you to stand at this time. Worship team's going to come.